0: It's time to write a news story. This is Success Stories with Madison Piper. It's the place where women discuss how to make an impact. Here's your host, Madison Piper. You may
1: know today's guest as the host of ABC's former hit reality series, Extreme Weight Loss. And let me tell you, this conversation is one for the books because today we talk all about both mental and physical health and wellness with New York Times bestselling author and health and fitness expert, Heidi Powell. Now, Heidi pretty much does it all. She's a trainer, a transformation specialist, a mother for, a savvy businesswoman, an entrepreneur, author, nutrition nut, overall health guru, and so much more. But she hasn't always had it easy. Heidi's story shows us how prioritizing both our mental and physical health can help us grow, live happier and healthier lives, and positively impact the lives of everyone around us. So in today's episode, she opens up and is vulnerable in sharing her story. She talks to us about her relationship with food, how she got to where she is, success in motherhood. And she also talks to us about her former experiences with eating disorders. But in all of this, she explains how the power of vulnerability is what led her to a career of empowering and changing the lives of others. So tune in as we talk to Heidi today, because we are so excited to have her here in the success stories podcast. So Heidi, thank you for coming on. We cannot wait to hear your story. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, we're so excited to talk to you for a lot of reasons, Heidi, because this podcast is all about women of impact. And you have been a woman of impact in a lot of different ways through, you know, weight loss journey, through your experience as the transformation person on extreme weight loss, and um, even opening up about your struggles with body dysmorphia and eating disorders and being vulnerable enough to share your journey in order to connect with and help other women. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that.
0: Uh, yeah, you know, I struggled with an eating disorder from the time I was 14 or 15 up until I was 25 or 26. So up until it was actually through when I had kids and, and I, while I wasn't bulimic through that time, um, I still had anorexia and a fear of food. Food controlled me. Um, and I definitely had a major sense of body dysmorphia that may have even carried into my early 30s. And you know, I'd be lying if I said to this day, I still have to watch out for the body dysmorphia because we are our own worst critic. and you know what I realize now is it wasn't as much that I had a food or an eating disorder as I did a disorder with loving myself. Um, and I thought I had to be a certain size. I grew up with a mom who was perfect. She was so sweet and so cute and so nice and beautiful. And my dad treated her like a queen. And I was one girl of, you know, there were three boys and one girl. And I saw the only visual I had of a man loving you was a man loving my mom. And he loved her so much. And I thought in order to get the love that I wanted, I needed to be her. Like I needed to be a person. I could never be anything, but she was super fit. And my parents never pushed it on me. Um, I mean, they were very fit and they would offer to let me go to the gym and I grew up in gymnastics, but I always, it just, it was ingrained in my head. They did the best that they could. I'm sure I have daddy issues, but everybody does to a sense or some kind of a parent issue. Um, but I believed I needed to be something that I thought I was not because I was a bigger frame than my mom um, in order to be loved. Just because that's how my un- undeveloped brain thought it to be. And it turned from something that was anorexia in high school to when my parents kind of found out, realized I had an eating disorder. I wasn't eating enough. I mean, I had an injury in the, in- I blew out my ACL in high school. And it to me, I thought, oh my gosh, if I can't work out. I can't eat because if I eat, I'm going to get fat. And that was such a fear of mine. Um, but it turned from anorexia to bulimia. When my dad would force feed me, he'd be like, you need to eat a burger. I want you to eat this right now. And again, it's him doing the best he could. Um, and actually him for the first time getting emotional because it was like, I was his baby girl. I was the only girl. Um, but yeah, that bulimia then turned into a major food addiction because this Part of me, where for so many years I thought, okay, food is bad, I can't eat food, I have to restrict. Suddenly I realized, oh my gosh, like I can eat all this food that I've been depriving myself of, and I can get rid of it, like I, I can make sure it does not go into my body. And so, I that bulimia was this terrible food addiction that, um, for about the two years, a year and a half after high school, had me acting as a drug addict with food. True. I mean, I would start every day thinking, okay, I'm going to be good today. I'm going to start fresh. I'm not going to binge and purge. And I would take one bite of food at like 11 o'clock. And that one bite triggered something in my brain that had me, Oh, now I just messed up. Okay. Maybe I, I'll i eat. And I would binge and purge. And then two hours later, okay, I'm not going to eat anything. I'm not. And I would eat one bite of food because I'm like, but I'm starving. And that would turn into a binge and purge. So it would be four or five times a day. Um, I went from a straight A student in high school to failing in college at ASU because I just, I sometimes wouldn't make it to class because I was so overwhelmed by this eating disorder. And I didn't start turning it around until I I did a little bit of therapy. I did not do much. And I lied to my therapist. Like I remember I'm like, no one's going to take away my eating disorder because if they do, I'm not going to be enough. I had this thing I'm going to gain weight. I'm not going to be enough. I'm not going to be lovable. Um, and so, and you know, also in connection with an eating disorder, I was a major people pleaser. I would do anything that anybody wanted me to do, including dating and saying yes, and, you know, getting in awkward situations with guys. Cause I felt too bad to hurt their feelings. I thought I had to love on and show people their worth in order for them to see my worth. Like my worth was in their hands. Um, I ended up getting married getting pregnant. And that was the time for me where I'm like, okay, I have a child in my stomach. I'm growing a baby. Do I want this baby to be made of all this shit that I'm putting in my body and vomiting, or do I want to actually give it a chance to live? And so that was actually when, when I was pregnant with my first child is when I stopped my bulimia. I just did because I was so scared of hurting a child. You know, like I knew I had a human growing in me, Um, but then between babies, it came back and then I had my second one, same thing. I was good. And then right after that, my second, after Marley was born, I went through a divorce was major body dysmorphia was able to not, you know, go back to bulimia. But I ended up meeting my um, second husband, Chris, who was a trainer. And I was a trainer right out of high school, which is crazy. I'm a trainer who's bulimic and anorexic and I'm telling people what to do. So I knew what to do, but logically what I told them to do didn't feel possible for my body. Like it, I saw it working for them, but I was like, I'm different. I just can't, I can't get rid of this. I felt like I was in something that would be for life. And so in my work with Chris, which then we created the show, extreme weight loss, um, me being as busy as I was, was the best thing for me. So I, I was band-aiding it by being busy and by transforming other lives, but I don't believe my real healing happened until I actually, on season one of the show, uh, there was a girl who, I don't ever know that it made it on camera, but she was bulimic and her dad caught her. And I didn't even tell Chris, my first husband, my second husband, they did not know I ever had an eating disorder. I did so great at hiding it. Um, But I actually opened up to Rachel. And I said, Hey, like that was the moment where I'm like, Oh my gosh, do I tell, do I spill the beans? What if Chris finds out I used to be believe, I mean all this stuff. And I ended up opening up to Rachel alone and said, please don't tell anybody, but I know where you're at. Like my ability to draw a connection between my struggle and what she was currently struggling with was so beautiful for her. Cause she felt flawed. Like she got caught. She felt like she was alone and like nobody else struggled with it. So for her to hear that I had dealt with it for such a long period of time, um, really helped her. And also that was the beginning of my healing myself because then another person in another season struggled with the same thing. And over time, what I realized is my struggle, my anorexia, my bulimia, my food addiction, my body dysmorphia is the exact same exact, same thing as every participant on our show. It just looks different. And it, the connection it actually brought me to the people was something that I never imagined it would. Um because they now didn't see me as someone that was, you know, unattainable or whatever. They saw me as one of them, like somebody who also struggled, who also has battled some kind of an eating disorder like they do. And it, it truly like I realized the more I hid, the more that addiction and that dysmorphia and everything from the past actually still controlled me. And the more I shared, the more I healed and the more I gave other people permission to heal the same way. So it's it's crazy because there was so much shame around that for me. like so much uh, from the fact that I had my teeth redone because there was so much stomach acid that I had ruined my teeth to I mean everything, right? And there was so much shame. I never thought I'd be able to tell the story and actually be proud of it. So to be in a place where now I can talk about it and say, no, like I am here. I feel like I'm actually on the other side of it. And anything that was a result or a scar of it is a reminder of this beautiful journey that I've gone through that's gotten me to where I am.
1: You know, I think a lot of women can, listening to this, can sit here and themselves think I'm sitting here dealing with this same thing, but in silence. And the fact that you have been able to open up and be so vulnerable about your journey, even though it took a long time, because you said that you sat in silence for, for years, Mm -hmm. um, and felt a lot of shame with what you were going through, almost like no one could relate to you, but then you found this really valuable connection with Rachel through opening up about your journey and letting go of that shame, you know, helped bring a lot of healing to you. And then in return, you helped heal a lot of people. Yeah. So I think it's so important to be vulnerable. And I think, you know, that's one of the scariest things that you can do is open up about hardships like this. But the fact that you, you've you done that has changed a lot of people's life. Now, one thing Thank I want to ask you is I think that some people especially women who are going through some kind of body dysmorphia or a poor relationship with food, um, feel like their relationship is control. Like it's almost like a need for control. Yeah. But the reality is that the the food, that the addiction is controlling you. You're, you mm-hmm. have no control. It's controlling you. So did you feel like when you finally opened up about it, you got control
0: back? You know, I felt like I... I got control of who I am right there. Vulnerability is the greatest marker of courage. And I think there was so much fear. I get, I think at our, the root of all of us, we all want to be loved. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be enough. Mm-hmm. All of us. Like if we dig down deep and for me to expose something that would have me show up as flawed, Because when you're younger, and even for most people listening to this, you don't realize how flawed people are. Mm -hmm. You don't realize, people listening don't realize how flawed I still am in different ways, right? Like we all have things that we're dealing with. Um, And I think too, to add to it, when you're watching social media and you're watching TV, and back in the day for me, it was People Magazine and Us Magazine, I'm seeing these like perfect specimens of humans and models and actresses that I feel like there's no way I can live up to, right? Right. Um, So the idea of sharing something that will say, oh, I'm broken. I'm broken. Uh, To me, that says, like, always told me I'm not going to be enough. Someone's going to make fun of me. Someone's going to judge me. They're not going to want to be around me. I remember my dad telling people that I had an eating disorder and it was mortifying to me. Mm -hmm. Like the idea, even now, it's like the last divorce I went through, I did not want to get divorced. I would have made an unhealthy marriage work forever because I did not want people to know, that I couldn't make a second marriage work, right? So these things that we think are gonna break us, when we're actually vulnerable and we let people in, we let people see it. Yeah, there's gonna be people that judge, there are, but for the most part, the people are gonna rally around you who actually support what you are doing. And to me, that's control because you now have control over this thing or this fear that was controlling you. And yeah, food was controlling you, right? It is because it is one of those things where you're like, okay, if I could just starve for this long or I can do, to me, bulimia, you have no control. Like for, like Mm -hmm. I knew how to throw up and that's really the only control I had. But I had, I feel like when I crossed this threshold from anorexia to bulimia, I feel like I had lost all control and I knew I was out of control. Um, what did help me was actually educating myself. Like for me to understand, okay, wait, hold on. This thing that's controlling me and whatever, and what does it actually do for me? All right, let me start. And I actually started training myself on, okay, what does, what do carbs do? What do fats do? What do proteins do? And I started trusting the advice that I was giving so many other people, right? And so to be able to play around with my body and try to eat and be like, hey, I'm gonna try something for a month. I'm gonna try to eat enough food so I'm not starving, And I'm not, you know, I don't feel the need to binge. I'm going to indulge in the foods that I like. And if I don't like the results, I can always go back to what didn't work before. I can go back to starving myself. I can go back to being scared of it. And what happened was, and I got a coach. I decided I can't be my own coach. I need Mm -hmm. to give up control and actually trust somebody else. Like so many other people trust me and that education and actually trusting my coach and seeing what my body could do when I trusted somebody else it was so beautiful, and I—I I mean, it's like ignorance is bliss, but knowledge is power. Knowledge gave me so much power, and how I could actually control my body by nourishing it and feeding it enough. You know, mm-hmm.
1: no, I—I I, I completely understand what you're saying, and sometimes I think it can help people when they're going through something like this and trying to let go of that need for control and trying to educate themselves, it can help them if they have a goal in the end, right? Something tangible that where they're like, I'm going to try and reach this by doing something yeah. different. And if it works, I I've made it right. I know I've escaped those habits and those patterns. And you did that with competitions. So I'm wondering, can you tell everybody a little bit about that and about your experience doing body competitions and how that helped your physical and mental health?
0: Yeah. It's funny. I was just thinking about that. I'm like, it sounds so crazy that like, to me, I believe one of the final steps in healing my body dysmorphia was competing on stage because I think for most people they get into competing and it might, it does the opposite for a lot. I've heard so many stories of people doing that and it doing the opposite, but me going in was different. Right. So I, I was challenged. I guess the spirit of why I started competing was completely different than most people. I didn't care to go on stage and look good. I didn't. Mm -hmm. I was scared of that because I'm like, gosh, I already hate the way that I look. Like, I don't want to deal with it. But I had somebody in season five of our show, two contestants, Josh and Kelly, uh, stood on stage with me and Chris. And they said, hey, you need to know for five years and 76 contestants, you have challenged us to goals that are so much bigger than we ever thought we could do. And you have helped us break through barriers and overcome things and experience joy and fulfillment in a way that we never, an achievement in a way that we never thought we'd be able to, we want to do the same for you. And they were like, we want you to, to do a physique competition. And I'm like, what the heck is that? (laughs) I honestly didn't know what it was. Like uh, when I thought physique, I thought the people that were, you know, only the girls that were really muscular. I went to the hotel did some research, realized, okay, there are like categories that, you know, your body frame goes into bikini or figure or physique or whatever it is. Um, so I was like, yeah, I couldn't say no. I said yes. Cause we were filming the show. So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess by design of having the uh, cameras on me, I jumped into something that I wasn't so sure about, but I ended up going home. That was, I searched. I'm like, okay, I want the best coach. And I met with the best coach in the area. Um, who actually just at Olympia, his girl won figure Olympia and his girl won fitness Olympia. He's had Miss Bikini. So I knew he was good. And I had him, you know, do him and his partner, Whitney did an analysis and they were like, great, you need to gain 20 pounds. And I'm like, like for the smallest competition, like the smallest class I needed to gain weight, which those words were terrifying to me, even though I wasn't bulimic. Um, and I I was eating enough, but I was working out a ton. I was doing a lot of cardio from the show. I was hiking. We were doing CrossFit. Um, so I ended up like, I went home, talked to Chris and Chris had said, Hey, you can either follow what they do or you don't have to, but know that you're not going to get to where they say you want to go. Their name is on your transformation. And so I decided that night to go all in. Like he had me eating, 450 carbs, grams of carbs, which prior, I mean, I was maybe eating a hundred a day. So it was not that he had me like four and a half timesing what I was eating. So going from like 1800 calories up to almost 3000 calories a day. Wow. And a lot of them carbs. Yeah. Just to quickly build because my competition was coming up and I had so many times I was that client where I would text Whitney and Damien at, you know, 8 PM on a Friday night. And I'm like, I think I blew it. I don't even know what I've been eating according, but my body feels so big. And I mean, it was, there was so much fear around it. And he's like, Hey, come in tomorrow and let me look. And him and Whitney would look and say, you're crazy. Like you need to stop. And so by having a coach who once a week would make sure I was on track, I was actually able to gain 20 pounds. I did Mm -hmm. terrible at my first competition, but it lit a fire in me where I, Chris had won all of the categories. He did so well. Like he always does with everything. I went the next day, people were like Heidi's going to win and I bombed. My legs were shaking on stage because I was so nervous. Um did not do well and that for me was like a, okay, I've actually never set a goal for myself ever. So you're talking about goals. Mm-hmm. I had never set a goal for me. And so for me, I thought, "Okay, I'm going to go at this until I get a pro card." And I had asked my coach first. I said, "Is a pro card possible for me?" I don't care about how I look. I need to feel like I'm achieving something that I set my mind to. And also I knew my body was being nourished and I was eating more than I ever had. I was working out less than I ever had. I did no cardio, no CrossFit, which was again, like completely going against the eating disorder in Mm -hmm. me. Right. And I decided to trust and he, they both said, yeah, like you can get it. You're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to trust. You're going to have to stop being crazy. And like, Hey, if you are, let me know that you're not feeling good and I'll set you straight. Right. And so I trusted in them for two and a half years and I did competition after competition. And finally I ended up getting a pro card. And not only did I get a pro card, which was great. I don't even care about how I, how I looked, but I was 130 pounds on stage. So I went from hundred to 130 pounds. And now I kind of stay I maintain at about 118, 120, mm-hmm. which is awesome for me. So that i and there's a because I know what my body's capable of, I competed as a pro for a cup for a, a one year, but because I know what my body's capable of, even when I get softer or I'm out of shape or I don't work out for two weeks, which would have never been a thing that I would have contemplated before, I have so much confidence in what I'm able to do that I love my body at any state now. And also like I'm 39 and right now in some ways I'm more out of shape than I was when I competed and I'm a lot bigger. I have more body fat than I did before. And I love my body so much more now because I know the power that it has. So I'm not connected to how it looks as much as I'm connected to the power that I have within. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know the miracle that it is. I've had four babies. I can still back handspring at 40. I know how strong I am, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think that a lot of people forget, you know, to look at what our bodies do for us and like the miracles that they provide, you know, they breathe for us and we don't even have to think about it. And our bodies are so, they're so intricately designed right? Yeah. And it's not just about like the external, like being appreciative that y- it, your body wakes you up every morning to get up and do what you love, that it, your body is what can walk you to the refrigerator yeah. to nourish and, you know, enjoy the things that you you want to in your life. And I hear you talk about, you know, you were told to gain 20 pounds. And as a woman, I'm sitting here listening, triggered because I'm like, oh my gosh, if anybody <laughs> <I> ever told <laughs> me to gain 20 pounds, I don't even know what I would think. And, it, but it's, it's healthy. So I think they you know that education that you were talking about earlier is so important because without that we get trapped into these mindsets of you know what we think is the best way for us to live. Um, and a lot of the times that's really, really, really unhealthy. So yeah. uh, one thing I want to ask you about is how mental and physical health play into success. Because I think a lot of people feel like it's just about the hustle, but it's more than the hustle. It's so much more than the hustle.
0: You know, I am my best self now, I, uh, more so than I have ever been. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I actually think a lot of it is uh, because I am more physically healthy and mentally healthy than I have ever been really truly. And when I say that though, like physical health doesn't look like what I thought it looked like two years ago when Chris and I started going through a divorce. And when I was married to him, there was a part of me that when I heard physical health or just health, um, I thought of it as, okay, am I working out six days a week? Am I eating, you know, five meals a day? Am I counting my macros? Am I, how am I looking? How much can I lift? Um, it's been so good to, and the divorce was a thing that I didn't want. And in hindsight, it's been the most beautiful thing for me as an individual because I've been able to almost breathe
1: mm-hmm. and
0: rest and have over time the influence of Dave, who is has been so good for my mental health and has connected me so much more to mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, um, to where I realize now that if you're not giving attention to mental, spiritual, emotional, and you're not resting, you're not taking time for you. The physical does not matter. It doesn't like the physical at some point will burn out. And now that I feel like I'm, I shouldn't say I'm in balance. I'm more balanced now that I've ever been. It is insane how business and every my my relationship with my kids every area of my life is actually flowing mm-hmm. and you know i have to give a lot of credit to dave like it's been so good to be with a man who loves me no matter what it is so like it actually made me think oh okay maybe i am lovable maybe it doesn't matter how i look maybe it doesn't matter how i hustle and work maybe it doesn't matter how Like I can make matter what I want to matter and he's going to love and support me no matter what. So if he can love and support me no matter what, maybe I can love and support me no matter what. So it's funny how sometimes we need the belief from somebody else. Like I had the belief from my coach that I could get a pro card that really helped ignite me. And then the belief from Dave that, hey, to be successful doesn't mean I have to look a certain way. To be successful means I get to make it look how I want and then be successful. Um, So it really truly has been everything for me. And I mean, even in routines and habits, shifting them over the last couple of years from again, very gym centric and very, let me count every macro centric to, okay, wait, actually I'm going to rest on a Sunday. Like we actually rested all day Sunday this week, which I never did before. And so it's, it it ignites me and it makes me excited for the week. And I get to also, now that I know who I am and what I want, I can say no to things and not worry Mm -hmm that it's going to hurt me. I can choose. I have choice over my life. And also I have this knowing now that if something doesn't work out now, it's for the best and something better is going to work out down the future.
1: That's, you know, that's a really important mindset to keep, um, you know, when you're going through hardships and everything, because I think a lot of the time people keep this hope that the situations that they're in will just work out even yeah. when they're not supposed to. They just keep this blind hope that, you know, it's going to get better when the best thing for them would be to step out of that and to move forward because because there's so much waiting for them that they can't even see yet. And I feel like we see a lot of that with you. And I know that you have such a public platform and you probably had a lot of people invested in your relationship with Chris yeah. who, you know, <laughs> I mean, with extreme weight loss and everything. And I'm sure that announcing divorce was Terrifying because in the age of social media, we are unfortunately surrounded with internet trolls who feel like they need to give you their opinion on every single part of your life. (laughs) And (laughs) I mean, it's the truth. But I've heard you say before in another interview that you have the ability to filter not just what you see on your feeds, but what you read from people about you. So tell us all a little bit about how. You went about announcing the divorce and how you were able to filter out the negative so you could keep your kids safe and so you could keep yourself in a healthy mental state.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny because uh, getting upset by comments is another form of control, right? Mm -hmm. And in my journey, especially over the last two years, I have had such a beautiful relationship with releasing control, beautiful connection with it. And I me releasing control of what somebody's saying about me is a part of that, right? Like they're entitled to their perspective. They're entitled to their opinion. Now that doesn't mean I want to sit in the messages and I want to read it all day. No, if I see it, I'm probably going to block the person to be honest, because I know it's there. I acknowledge it, but also I get to choose the world that I live in. Right. Um, but I was so scared of that. There's so much fear around it. And I think it takes you being thrown into, A fire, which is what happens when you go through a public divorce and then you're dating somebody else publicly. There's a, it's literally a fire pit that you're thrown into, and it's not nice. Um, There are still blogs online, and I I have to be like, okay, I know they're there. Mm -hmm. I think the world needs balance. We need negative energy to balance out the bright. I'll be the bright. They can be the dark. I'm okay with that. (laughs) But you know, when going through, Chris and I split um, summer of 2019, and it was really hard for me. Like I couldn't, I didn't have a day where I didn't cry. And so for me, I didn't want my kids to deal with it because my older kids had already been through a divorce. I didn't want Cash and Ruby to deal with it at school. So we decided to process it as a family um, and not announce until May, 2020, which is when I felt strong enough. I felt like, okay, I can, I can do this. I've had a little bit of I, you know, on my ownness happening, um, and it's funny because I built it up to be like everyone's gonna hate me. Every, like I, and it's funny because most people in the world, because they see me in my social media world, they see me happy, and so the comment I've gotten the most over the years since we announced a year and a half is, "I can't believe you left your marriage," and I'm like, "Oh man." I think it's just a result of them seeing me choose to be happy, but I also don't feel like I need to explain it to anybody. I really Mm -hmm. don't, unless it comes up naturally on a podcast. I think I just choose happy no matter what's thrown at me. Um, And everybody has the right to choose what they want. They can choose struggle. They can choose whatever. Um, I've chosen happy, but I did, I would say 95% of the response that we got from the divorce was insanely positive. And like a, you know, not like, Oh, I'm glad, but just, Hey, I'm so sorry. You're going through it, which was encouraging to me because I had built it up that most people would be upset. Now there were comments that were not nice. And I told my team, I said, Hey, for the next week, two weeks, I want you, can you go on my social media? If there's a bad comment, delete it. I don't want to know. I don't want to read it. I don't want it there. Um, yeah. Is it a little bit of maybe toxic positivity? Maybe, but I don't care because this is the world mm-hmm. I don't want to know. Cause if I know it's going to play into and speak to my insecurities that I already have, um, it's going to play into a part of me. Like, again, I didn't feel like I needed to tell the story at the time of, and I still don't need to, um, mm-hmm. it's a choice that, you know, was made and I, I don't want to know if people want to blame me. Mm-hmm. They're only going to go online and they're only going to say things rude if they're struggling in their life too. Um and so that same thing happened when Dave and I decided to announce uh that we were dating in February this last year. And what's funny is Chris and I had been going through a do- divorce for 2 years and Dave and Rachel had not been going through as long. And the response on his page was overwhelmingly positive. And the response on mine was like 50/50. It was like, "I can't believe it's so soon." I'm like, it is super for him than me, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. there, and Dave, Dave was like, I don't get it. There's a double standard with men and women where for Mm -hmm. men, it's okay to very quickly after date somebody where for you, you know, it's not. And so that was another time where I was like, okay, team delete anything. I don't want to read it. And, but uh, that was another time I had the negative comments and the negative feedback. Um, It only made me stronger and it only made me realize, okay, I don't know the people out there. The Mm -hmm. ones that love me and support me, I'm going to love on and I'm going to support them. But the people that really matter are the people that are in the wall of my home, truly. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And I feel like when
1: you have a platform like you do and when people are as invested in your life as like maybe your followers are, they almost feel this sense of entitlement to be informed about everything. And you have like no obligation to fill them in on everything in your personal life. And I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding that and they almost feel like betrayed when you withhold information. But the reality is like if you offered up that information right then and there you would be betraying yourself and you'd be betraying your family yeah. and i think a lot of people you know are almost have like a disconnect with understanding that so i applaud you for holding off until when it was right for you when it was right for chris when it was right for your kids Thank to you. move forward in announcing the divorce and announcing your co-parenting and announcing your new relationships because Again, that's your business. It's not the business of any of your followers or anybody who feels like they have this right or like, you know, role in your life that they don't. Yeah.
0: And I I think I, maybe because I share so much, sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, I, I, you know, I'm asking for it. So I can't be upset that people (laughs) expect a lot because I do share a lot. And because I share a lot, it creates a, okay, wait, you share everything. Why didn't you share this? You mm-hmm. know? And so, but then again, at the same time, I I tell Dave quite often, I'm like, you know, someday there will come a day, mark my words, where I'm not, I, I, I'm going to live a life that doesn't have an Instagram or a Facebook or a whatever. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when that time will be. Um, but I think when I feel like my purpose in that space is fulfilled, um, And, or when my kids need me without that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, like there's been a lot of times over this last year where I've been like, I I don't know if I can be the present mom that I want to be while still handling all of these other things. And there's, there is a fear for me of, okay, wait, if I stop this now, will I ever be able to regain it? Or will I ever be able to go back um, but also the biggest fear is I, my oldest is 16. He only has two years left in the home. And my mm-hmm. second is 15, three years left. And so there, there is an emotional pull for me. And, and I think this reality that hit me after the divorce has been the most beautiful perspective shift for me. And even the thing that's like, okay, online doesn't actually matter. It's like this fake world, yeah. real life is here, you mm-hmm. know?
1: Yeah, I know. Real life is in your home. Real life is with your family. Real life is with the people who love and care for you outside of just comments and likes on Mm -hmm. Instagram. And so it's so great that, you know, you have this huge platform and you still recognize that. And with that, I kind of want to segue into talking about success and motherhood, because I feel like that's something that needs to be talked about more. I feel like there are a lot of stigmas around having children and building careers. Like a lot of people think that you could do one or the other. And they don't understand how some people do both. And they think, well, if you're neglecting or if you're chasing one, you're neglecting the other, but you can find balance. So tell us a little bit about your, you know, climb to success as you've been an attentive and focused mother.
0: Yeah, I think everybody's going to be different. And for Mm -hmm. one person that what you just said, like pursuing one will cause a neglect in the other. Might mm-hmm. be true, right? And it's not for me to judge. If somebody chooses that and that's what they want, then I get to live my life where I get to choose, and they get to live theirs, right? And that's I, I have no mm-hmm. judgment. I think where the only issue comes in is where people start to judge another person. Right. Where for me, I, here's the thing: I have been quite possibly the busiest mom you've ever met in your life <laughs> over the past decade since we started the show. I really have. I managed Chris at the beginning. And then I was pulled onto the show and I mean, it it just got crazy, right? Was it hard to give my kids the time that deep down I wanted to? Yeah, it was really hard. Was it hard to give the business the time that it needed? Yeah, it was really hard. Did I do it? I did it the best that I could. And I don't regret a single bit of it. I don't. Um, I also know, I don't believe in balance. I don't, I think balance is not even a thing. You get to create what your balance looks like, Mm -hmm. but I am always balancing. So I believe in balancing where when you're balancing and you're in in tune with your balance and how you're balancing, I can say, okay, I'm probably pouring a little bit too much into work right now. I'm pouring a lot. I can feel my relationship with my kids. I need to adjust. And so I can start to adjust. Okay, wait, wait. Now work is starting to dip. I need to adjust and I'm level for a while. Okay, wait. And so I have the ability and that's one of my strengths. Is being able to manage a lot at once. Do I do it perfectly? No. Are there things I could do better? Yeah. But the things that I do wrong are lessons for me the next time. Like I might miss one of my kids' games accidentally. I planned a trip, a work trip over. And does it feel good? No, it Mm -hmm. doesn't. And that not feeling good feeling, I mean, every parent, whether you're staying home or not, you're gonna miss something of your kids. It is a teaching lesson. Okay. That did not sit well with my kid. If I, that relationship, my kids relationship is number one, right? So next time I need to make sure I do this different. I think it's also super, super important to understand what your priorities are. Um, Chris and I actually had, and you need to align with your partner in this, or it's very hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris and I had the same top three priorities we did. However, the order of those three were misaligned. Um, Dave and I, same three priorities, same order. And I think that's so important because you do need the support of your partner where I love so much what I built and I love what I helped Chris build, but it's not as important to me as it was to Chris. Like Mm -hmm. I, if, if someone came to me today and said, okay, you got to pick stay at home mom or family. Or work. If I had to, no one would ever make me do it. But I I would leave the work in a second. And I would, because I, I know where I, I know what my number one is. Mm-hmm. I just do. Um, but I like that. I think it is important to know what your priorities are. So as you're doing it, and as you're shifting and balancing, you're not having any guilt. And you also have to cut out what the outside world thinks. You have to know, no matter what thing I choose, someone's going to be mad at me. They mm-hmm. just are, Right. Um, I actually read, there was this Nora Roberts thing. I I was really overwhelmed. And I tend to get overwhelmed pretty easily because I pile a lot on and I kind of thrive in an overwhelmed state. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a lot going on. That's just kind of me. (laughs) Uh, But my, one of the people that I work with, Alexa, had sent me this news article or this article. And this reporter had done an interview with Nora Roberts and they had said something like, Nora um, how do you balance kids and work? How do you do it? You know, how do you actually maintain being a mom while working? And Nora's answer was, you have to know the difference. Like there, you are not juggling five balls. I'm not juggling five balls. I'm juggling 55 balls. Mm -hmm. So it's super important for me to understand and decide which balls in the air are glass and which ones are plastic. Mm -hmm. Right. And I get to decide which ones are glass I get to decide which ones are plastic. Nobody else can. Mm-hmm. And one day, a glass ball might be a deadline for work. And my kid's game might be a plastic ball that day because this deadline is going to affect so much more, right? Mm-hmm. So I can let that plastic ball drop. I got to catch those glass balls. Another day, my kid's theater rehearsal or recital might be number, might be a glass ball and something in work might be plastic. But understanding what's glass and what's plastic and giving yourself grace to let the plastic balls drop so that you can catch the glass. And I'll, like, and to my add-on to that is the, no one gets to tell me what my glass mm-hmm. balls are. Nobody does, my mother-in-law, my mom, no <laughs> one can be like, that was a glass ball. No, guess what? Mm-hmm. I get to pick what my balls are. I know what my glass ones are today. I know what my plastic ones are today. And I'm gonna aim to catch as many glass as possible and it's many plastic, but some might fall through, and it's got to be okay.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's been
0: a huge game changer for me, just living by
1: that. I've heard that analogy before. I have, and it's I love good. it because I, I think it helps you visualize, you know, yeah. the priorities in your life. Because when you think about, well, if I drop this one, what's going to happen? Versus if I drop this one, what's going to happen? Yeah. One might have a much more significant impact and like be a lot more detrimental. So that's glass, yeah. right? If you're like, well it's not, it's really not going to be the end of the world. If I am, you know, a little bit late or if I'm, you know, this or that, then that's plastic. And so I think that really helps you visualize and discover what's important to you and find that balance. Because like you were talking about, balance is subjective. It's not objective. I think a lot of people think of balance objectively and they're like, you have to do things 50, 50 or this way. And that doesn't work for everybody because everybody's priorities, careers, lives are so different that you have to find what works for you. So I'm glad that you talked about that. Now, something else I want to ask you about is being a mother of a daughter Mm -hmm. and going on stage and doing competitions. Now, side note, I have, uh, I've spent a little bit of time on stage myself, not in physique competitions, but in like the world of pageantry. So I know firsthand some of the stereotypes that come along with that. And then people, instead of celebrating the work and effort and healthy lifestyle it takes yeah. and confidence to get on that stage and do that, they decide to look at it through a sexualized lens. Yeah, uh, Not at all what it is. And so yeah. being a mother of a daughter, I can imagine that some people might say you have a daughter and yet you're getting on stage prancing around in a bikini, but it's like, well, yeah, I have a daughter. I'm showing her what it looks like to live healthy, what it looks like to be confident, yeah, what it looks like, you know, to to chase after my yeah. goals. So, I mean, did you face any of that backlash, and how did you approach it, and like, what did your daughter learn from you in that time of competing? Yeah,
0: really good question. And yes, of course I did. I had a lot of people, especially because in bikini there's the back post, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole <laughs> thing in general is a, a little bit to the outsider. Uh, provocative, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but the good news is, to to anyone who's far away, it's always going to be hard for them to see because they're not in it. But the good news is, the most important person in my world, or people, my two girls, right, my family, but my two girls, they were in it with me, so they never saw it for me stepping on stage, strutting in a bikini, ever. What they saw and what they experienced was their mom setting goals making commitments to herself and fulfilling them every single day. That's what they saw. And yeah, once every five months, they knew I stepped on stage, right? But like it was that stage is such my two minutes total on stage Mm -hmm. every five months is so tiny compared to the dedication that they saw me put in. And also compared to them seeing me gain muscle and them seeing Mm -hmm. me get stronger, and then seeing me shift my perspective to hey look how much weight I-. like it's not about how skinny you are it's about mm-hmm. how strong you are so that's all that they saw uh, yeah i had people say things that i think probably at the beginning maybe i was a little bit sensitive about it um, but i actually i had a friend tell me they were reading a book the other day and this is kind of what happened they said you know one of the biggest signs of personal growth is when people can have a misconception about you or a an opinion about you and you, it doesn't phase you and you would mm-hmm. not have it phase you or bother you. And I did eventually get to that point because I'm like, you know, they don't know. And for a while I did respond to people. I would say, oh, you know, I would actually give a very nice response. and Maybe say something like what I told you, um, nine out of 10 times, the person would respond and say, oh, I, I'm so sorry. I see your perspective. Thanks for responding. But there's going to be so many people. You can't judge a book by a cover, by its cover. And if someone wants to, that's their To deal with. Truly. It's not Mm -hmm. mine to deal with, right? And understanding, too, that, like, I don't know, someone said to me recently, there are there are no problems. We make problems, right? So there are are really no issues. We make them. And so that person, there's not really an issue. There just is what is. Like I am there, I'm doing, and they're creating an issue. So it's not mine to deal with. That's not my that's for them to clean up and them to work on. Does that make sense? So understanding that it, it, i'm on my path they're on theirs
1: yeah that's a really good way to look at it because you know every like you said everybody's going to have different opinions yeah. and like you can take the time to have to explain yourself and be like oh this is why i see things my way yeah. but you don't owe anybody that explanation you know. and so as long as you know that you're doing the right thing for you and for your family yeah. you you know you don't have to justify that to anybody yeah um i just was wondering you know what that felt like at that time, because I can imagine that people had a lot of opinions, but there's so much good that comes out of that. And it's such an example to train every day, to practice that level of discipline. I mean, watching the discipline that it takes to eat healthy and to achieve a goal like that, it's insane. I think a lot of people don't understand it. I mean, that's not something that you can do three days a week. That's, you have to live by that lifestyle, you know, from the moment you decide to enter to the moment that you get on stage.
0: See, I think too, um, it's when, when I'm insecure with myself Mm -hmm. and I'm not happy, people's opinions matter. Mm -hmm. But when I like, to be honest, I don't know that I cared that much going through because I, i for the first time in my life was in a place where I was beginning to love my body and I was beginning to appreciate my power. Um, And I was appreciating how it was affecting my family because when I'm happy and when I'm doing something and I'm accomplished, everyone in my world is feeling it. Like they're all experiencing a happier mother, uh, a happier wife, a happier whatever. And so I don't, I think when you're confident and when you feel good, you're in a place of peace with yourself and you love yourself, those opinions are easier to Not even be like, oh, you don't know, but just be like, oh, okay. Like you just just don't notice. So I think for anyone listening, if you are in a place where other people's opinions are still affecting you, maybe use that as a sign that that's an area, like there's something inside that maybe needs to be worked out um, in the world
1: of self-love. That's great advice, Heidi. Um, thank you so much for that. And honestly, thank you for coming on to this podcast. This of podcast, course. the whole focus is women of impact. And, you know, so many people saw you make huge impacts in people's life through extreme weight loss, but it, you go so far beyond that with the impact and the influence that you have, you know, on social media, you know, with being so vulnerable about your journey with food and body dysmorphia and mental health and and also sharing everything about your family. So thank you so much for all that you do and for being such a great example for so many women. Um, you provide great avenues for connection and community. And we are so happy to have you here on Success Stories today. Thank you, Madison.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. You were great to talk to. Oh, thanks so much. Well, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. This has been Success Stories with Madison Piper. If you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe, drop a review, and tell your friends. If you'd like to hear more shows like this one, go to success.com slash podcasts.